okay? All right. Um, yeah, just welcome. I just want to welcome those who are, who are visiting this morning. Um, glad you could be here, and hopefully we'll have some warm fellowship with you this morning. Um, so it's funny when, when Paul mentioned Phil I speaking this morning because I was going, is, it, is it, there another Phil in the fellowship? Usually I'm just known as Phil. Um, all right. So I don't know about you guys, but, you know, I love, I love stories that relate to individuals and, and personalities. Um, I like stories that look at how a character develops um, as a result of circumstances that they're in and, and trials and things they go through and how they respond to that. And, you know, as much as I like kind of Superman and superhero type stuff and, you know, there's something a little bit um, unrelatable about those sorts of characters and those heroes because from the start they're like 100% perfect and can do what they want to and you don't really see them develop and and go from weakness or need to a a point of strength. Um, One story I I really like is um, Les Miserables and and the musical that, that we you know that we, we kind of know about, and, and the book it's, the book it's based on actually is, I think it's about fifteen hundred pages um, long, sixteen hundred pages long. You've read it from. from <laughs> um, so if anyone wants to have a, a, a summary, go see Sandra. It'll take a few hours. Um, but the main one of the major characters in that in that story um, is someone called Jean Valjean, and he's a, a prisoner. He's been a prisoner for about 19 years, um, and, and this is set in the the mid 1800s, early 1800s in France. And he's been in prison because of, of something, of trying just to survive. You know, life's tough, and he's been in prison for trying to steal food and, and do other things. But he gets released, and for those who don't really know the story, um, he gets released, and he's a bitter and he's an angry man, and he finds grace in in the home of a bishop and who who lets him stay there and cut a long story short um, steals from the bishop gets caught um, and the bishop says to him when the when the police catch him hey it's okay i gave these things to him oh and by the way you've got these two silver candles and jean valjean has has, has these things and the bishop says to him afterwards, because the police let him go, says, go and make a, a better man of yourself. Basically, go away and do good out of this wealth that I'm giving to you. And so we see that over time, Jean Valjean goes, he, there's a, a moment where he realizes, I've now got this opportunity to, to change my life. And we, we just follow how, how, how that plays out. And he becomes a, a, a very gracious man, very giving man. Um, and it's a really, it's a really beautiful story, a very moving musical if you have a chance to see it. Um, but, you know, Australian story, uh, which is on the ABC, you know, it's another sort of, um, there's narrative about individuals who've gone through hardship and struggles and there's some sort of breakthrough and whether just, whether they've had some financial success or some medical breakthrough or the fact they've just managed to survive through this really tough thing. You know, those sorts of stories, as, as, as humans, we, we relate to probably better than, than the Superman story, which is great for entertainment, but not great for us to kind of learn from. Now, the Bible is full of these little stories about characters and personalities who go through a journey, and sometimes we, we just read a few sentences about a character and we get little insights from through the Holy Spirit about that person, but often there's a, 
there's a, a story and we, we watch this person change and grow. And I wanted to look at Abraham this morning because um, he's the first character. Um, we read about other characters before Abraham in the book of Genesis and Adam and Eve and um, Noah. Now we, we all know about Noah. But the thing I like about Abraham is that we get to get a real sense of the man and the emotions and the things that he's going through and the things that he says and, and, and he struggles. And there's some good insights for us today as Christians, as believers, about how Abraham's, or Abram as he first started, um, and how God views him and how, how does God view us. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 12. Um, if people don't have Bibles, there are, I think, Bibles on, on the back there. So feel free to put your hand up if you want one. Someone will, will bring one to you. So Genesis chapter 12, uh, starting at verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, for those who know a little bit about Abram, or Abraham as, we, as he becomes to be named, um, we often hold him up as because we, he's revered as the, the father of the, the Jewish nation. We view him as this really faithful, righteous guy because we do read about him in, in the New Testament, in, in Hebrews, which we'll, we'll have a look at. Um, but we can get a false picture of what Abraham was like when he started. And we can start studying about him here in chapter 12 and going, God called him and he left and he did the right thing and there he is heading off to Canaan. But turn back a few verses with me to chapter 11 in verse 31. And there's a reference here about Abram. And it's kind of strange because, you know, if you're going to talk about this really major character, surely you'd start his kind of life at the start of the chapter, not kind of start at the end of the chapter. So, so chapter 11, verse 31, And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So God's called Abram. He's called Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees to go to Canaan. And what we read there is in verse 31, he doesn't actually get to Canaan. God calls him to go to Canaan, but he doesn't quite go to Canaan. He goes to Haran. Now, to get to Canaan, you've got to go from um, Ur, which is kind of in the southern part of Mesopotamia, modern-day Iraq, you go kind of head north, past the Euphrates River, go around the top to Haran, come back down to Canaan. So he doesn't do that. He, he goes, he goes kind of halfway. He just basically goes up the river, and we get a few insights about what's happened here. That it's when we looked at verse ch- um, one and two of chapter twelve, God says to Abram, "Leave everything and you go." 
But here in the end of chapter 11, he doesn't leave everything. In fact, he brings everything with him. And in fact, more than that, rather than Abram leading the way, it's his father who, who, who takes control of the situation and takes them out of Ur of the Chaldees. So he doesn't quite do exactly what God wants him to do, although he partly does. He at least leaves Ur of the Chaldees. Now, why would God want him to leave Ur of the Chaldees? If we know much about Baba, um, Babylon and that area, particularly Ur, major city, um, but worshipping foreign gods. And in fact, Ur as, as a city was set up for the worship of, of um, the moon god. Um, in um, the, the, the name Ur actually comes from a root word meaning light of fire, so um, light of fire, flame. Um, and Chaldees um, comes from a related comes from a, a word which means clod breakers, like breaker of breaker of earth. So God's calling Abram out of this place that's worshiping the moon god plus a whole plethora of other foreign gods, out of a place this flame of destruction because he wants to bring him to somewhere where he can bless him and he can he can have a a relationship. He can have close fellowship with him. Okay. So he leaves this place, he goes to this place, Haran, which um, in Arabic, um, it means a place that's dried up or parched with sun. Um, so it's a place that's it's burnt, it's scorched, it's charred. And you know, the question is, why would Abram go from this place that God's called him out of, go only go part way and not go completely to Canaan? Well, when we read, and this is why what we read in chapter 12, in verse, um, sorry, in verse, sorry, the end of chapter 11, when it talks about that terror died, the thing that stopped Abram going had had to disappear. Terror had to die, so Abram was free, free to, to go on. Now, terror's name actually means wanderer or loiterer. So, I don't think Terah was named like that by his father because he said, oh, you're going to be a wanderer or loiterer. But it's interesting how God has used these people's names to give us a bit of insight into what's going on. That where God wanted Abram to be in the land that he was going to bless him with and bless his descendants, he ends up loitering, he ends up wandering in this place called Haram, which is parched, and doesn't actually go in and possess the blessing that God wants to give to him. Now, as Christians, our lives can be like that, that God calls us to do things or bring, wants to take us out of a place where there's flames of destruction, where there's sin and things which enslave us and, and take our attention away from God. And we make a move to go to leave those things, but for some reason there's still a little bit of a hold there. There's like a ter- terror in our life, you know, you know, cause us just to wander and loiter, and we don't completely take, let God take control and leave that stuff behind. And so then what happens in our walk with the Lord is exactly what Haran's like. We feel parched, we feel dry, we feel burnt, and we go, wow, my walk with the Lord feels really dry. And often it's not because God's departed from us. God's drawing us to Him to bring us to a place where He wants us to be. It's just that we allow ourselves to dwell in a place where he doesn't, God doesn't want us to be. And we're going to see, as we look at a little bit more about Abram's life, that 
as well as you know, f physically taking him out of his parched land, there's a change that happens in Abram's life where he, we see how God deals with that, 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 parch, that, that parched, um, parched heart. All right, so back to chapter... And oh, just quickly, Abram's name um, means exalted father. Um, and his wife, Sarah, who was his, uh, his half-sister, means princess. Um, so bear, I want you guys just to bear that in mind, because later on we're going to come back and revisit those names. Um, so exalted father and princess. So Abram leaves uh, Haran after Terah, after wanderer, loiterer. Um, dies, uh, but he brings with him um, his possessions and he brings with him um, Lot and um, his nephew. And later on, and we, we won't necessarily get to it today, um, Lot it, is a lot of trouble for him. Um, and, but uh, we'll, we'll come back to Lot. Okay, so Genesis chapter 12. So the blessing that God's got for Abram uh, isn't just for him. It isn't just to richly bless him. But God's intention for Abram was that I'm going to call you to have a, a relationship that I'm the only God that you're going to serve. But through that relationship that you have with me, other nations will be blessed. And with us, with the benefit of hindsight, we say, yes, Jesus Christ the saviour of the world came through the, the line of Abraham. Um, but even in Abraham, Abram's life, we see that as God blessed Abram, the people around him were blessed. And so they, were, they would see the goodness of God and, and, and the love of God towards, towards Abram. Uh, despite what we're going to see, despite Abram's his unfaithfulness, his, his fickleness, his, his weakness. Okay? But that's just like us, right? We're, we're weak and we're fickle. And as much as God overwhelmingly blesses us, we we get distracted and, and do things, but, but God d demonstrates his faithfulness to us still. All right, verse 4, chapter 12. Um, uh, let's start at ver back at verse 5. Then Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem as far as the terebinth tree of Moreh, and the Canaanites were there in the land. So God's promised Abram that I'm going to give you this land, but there's already people living there. There's already Canaanites living there. But God says, I'm going to give this to you. Um, now, if Abram had just kind of just sat back and said, great, God, you're going to give it to me, but hadn't progressed into Canaan, and just said that's fine, it would just be in head knowledge, then he wouldn't have received the blessing that God wanted him to get. And in our walk, you know, God gives us promises. He tells us things about how he's going to provide for us or how he's faithful and he will never leave nor forsake us. And often we can know the promise and hear about it, but we don't possess it. We don't take the steps that are needed for us to then let God fulfill that blessing in our life and a great example is we know that Jesus Christ when he, he died for us on the cross to pay for our sins 
and he rose again to give us new life, we can know that in our head, but if we don't take an action to possess that, to receive that promise, it's just head knowledge, okay? It has no bearing in our, in our lives. That's just one example. Um, but we see when we study the book of Joshua, where the Israelites come back into Canaan, it's important that they take action and, and possess what God has given to them. And as Christians, God wants us to be, be active Christians, not passive. Um, as he opens opportunities for us to share and, and to be faithful to him or, or just, to, um, just to love people, God wants us to take those steps, you know, not just to kind of know, oh, that's something I should do. But actually go and actively do something and, and possess the, that, that promise or the, the blessing that, that God wants to give to you in, in that circumstance. All right. Verse 7, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed going on still toward the south. Okay. So Bethel means house of God. Um, AI is, means ruins, um, heap of ruins actually, uh, comes from the root to overturn or to destroy. And Abram, so he's left, he's left Haran and God leads him here and he, he, he establishes the tent between these two things, house of God and ruins. And, you know, there's a choice Abraham has to make. Is he going to face towards house of God? Is he going to commune and, and build community and fellowship with that area? Or is he, does he want to align himself with AI? And we, get a, a, you know, we see later um, that you know, definitely a lot, being aligned with house, the house of God and um, is a choice that he, that he makes. Um, now, you think now that Abram is now in a great place. So he's left Ur of the Chaldees. He's left the seven years he's spinning around, wasting his time in the parched land, wandering, loitering. He's now in Canaan. Great. He's, he's where God kind of wants him to be. Um, but what does he do? Verse 9, he journeyed going on still toward the south. And... It's not just anywhere he goes on toward the south. He ends up in Egypt. And Egypt, when we ever read about Egypt in the Bible, it reminds us of two things, okay? It reminds us of refuge, that there's refuge in Egypt. Often when there's a whole heap of bad things happening, like global famine, Joseph's there in Egypt, and God uses Egypt to provide refuge for Jacob and his, his family and he provide food for them. Um, but often we see Egypt as a picture of um, bondage of, of things that you, you go there and rather than being a blessing, ultimately ends up being a curse. And you know, we know with, with Abram's life, um, in Egypt, he picks up a, a servant, he picks up a, a maidservant called Hagar, and we know that there's problems that happen later on because the promise that God's got for, for Abram to have descendants those descendants aren't occurring. In fact, there's not even a, a son um, 
occurring or, or a daughter. There's no, there's no kids. And um, Abram kind of takes circumstances, um, or Sarah prompts him and, and then he responds. And, um, and, that, and that relates to, to, to Hagar, who they pick up in, in Egypt. You know, God often brings us to, to places where um, it's where he, he wants us to be, and he just wants us sometimes just to wait, okay? But it's clear he wants us there, and we can get impatient and go, well, I want to do, I want to do more. Um, you know, I think about an example from my life where, you know, I, I want to just love someone or share to, with them or, or minister to them in, in a way. And, you know, we read about in 1 Corinthians where there's dissension because some are following Apollos and some are following Paul. And, and Paul goes, well, you know, some water, some plant the seed, so the seed, some water, but it's God who gives the growth. And, and so it's very clear that, you know, we all have a part to play in God's plan and, and, and reaching this world. Um, but we, some of it have different, you know, within our ministry to a particular person, we don't have to do everything, right? We're a body. There's a number of us who we, we don't have to do everything. There's other fellowships, other Christians out there. And, you know, we should be doing the thing that God tells us to do, not thinking, I've got to save the whole world and take everything on. Because we can become like Abram where God's got him where he wants him to be, doing the things he wants him to do, and he goes, no, I want to do more. I want to... I'm loving this journey and I'm going to keep going to Egypt. And yes, there was a famine, but God was said, he said he was going to provide for him. Okay? Um, so being, being content and patient in the things that God leads you into is important. Being content to do... Being comfortable and doing nothing is not... is almost like being, being back in Haran. Okay? Okay. Now, I'm not going to read this next section, um, but... In effect, we're, we're, we're seeing, and this is where I like Abram, okay, because we're going, we're seeing that he's been faithful, he's had a bit of a roadblock, and then things are looking good, now he's, he's in Canaan, and so, you know, if we were to map out on the, like the spirituality kind of graph, you know, he's kind of like coming up here and he's kind of peaking, and then Egypt, oh, you and we think, well, okay, there's hope for him. You know, hopefully there's going to be a little bit of an uplift in his spirituality and his maturity. But what we see in this next section, actually, it kind of goes backwards. We thought he was going upwards. He's going backwards. Because what happens is that as he goes to Egypt, and remember we said, hey, it wasn't probably good for him to go to Egypt. He gets worried because he says, if I go to Egypt, um, and they know, Sarah, they know that you're my wife because you're beautiful, um, they will want to kill me because they'll, you know, they'll want to take you as their wife and I'm kind of stopping them doing that. So rather than us going in and saying that you're my wife, how about we just go and tell them that you're my sister? Which is kind of half true. She was his half-sister. Um, but they go in and, and show a little bit of... Um, they show us some deception. Or he shows a bit of deception. Um, and things don't go well because Pharaoh... Who would have thought? Pharaoh picks up on Sarah, gets reports that there's this beautiful Hebrew or this beautiful woman and claims her as his, as his wife and plagues hit Pharaoh and he says to, to 
Abram, why have you done this? Um, we'll just read quickly verse um, verse 18 of chapter 12. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say, She's my sister. I might have taken her as my wife. Now therefore, here is your wife. Take her away. Go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Verse 1 of of chapter 13. Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him to the south. Abram, verse 2, Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold, and he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. So despite Abram's fear of man and going against what God had wanted for him, we see that God protects him in that circumstance. Pharaoh could easily have just said, I'll wipe, I'll wipe you out. I'm taking your wife anyway. I'm Pharaoh. I'm the, I'm the most important man in Egypt. But he just goes, look, be on your way because God brings these plagues. God intervenes, brings these plagues to give a sign that, hey, don't touch Sarai. And they end up back where God wanted them to be with in the first place anyway. They end up between Bethel and, and Ai. So it was a little bit of a kind of a wasted trip going, going to Egypt. But you know what? God, God does that with, with us as well. You know, we, you know, we stray um, from, from what he wants for us, whether it be sometimes we don't read the word for days, weeks, months, you know, years. And it doesn't mean or we, we're out of fellowship or we're not fellowshipping with him and spending time with him, praying. But God doesn't just kind of shut us off and go, well, you know what? You guys had your chance. I led you there. I took you to the place where I wanted you to be. And you didn't continue. But he's so good. He, he, he draws us back. And he puts things there to help bring us back, to help bring us back to the place that he wants us to be and to continue our walk, our relationship with him. Whether it be just picking up the word again or praying, fellowshipping. God is so good in that. Um, so if you know, so if ever we're at a point where we feel like God, I've gone too far, I've strayed too far from where you want me to, there is hope, there is blessing in just coming back and confessing our need to the Lord, receiving that forgiveness, and just starting to walk again and put the. You know what? We never read again in Genesis where God brings up, "Hey, Abram, remember that thing in Egypt? You know, you're going to trust me next next." We don't read about that. In fact, what we do what we do see is in Abram's life a, a, a difference in how he responds to how God leads him and how he makes decisions. So, um, very, um, very good. All right, all right. Chapter thirteen. So he were here back between Bethel and Ai, and. So Abram's brought a lot of stuff from her. He's accumulated more stuff in Haran. They've gone to Egypt. They've probably accumulated a few more things there. Definitely acquired some, some people, servants, servant girl. Um, but Abraham and Lot have all this stuff that they're trying to um, 
look after. So in verse 5, Lot also, who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. So there's contention between Abram and Lot. Now, if he hadn't brought Lot with him from Ur, he wouldn't have had this issue. He would have just had his own tents and herds and livestock, and he would have dwelt. He would have just been the example that God wanted him to be. But he's brought Lot. We've now got this problem. Um, and even worse, remember that God wanted Abram to reflect, you know, have that relationship with him. So he had a witness. And there's this fighting between these the herdsmen from Lot and Abram in the presence of the Canaanites and Perizzites. And so Abram's going, look, that's not good. You know, Verse 8, so Abram said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Okay. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. So... Yeah, for the sake of we're brothers, okay, and we're having this fight in front of these people, and I'm here to, to, to represent God, can we not? We should be able to resolve this. And so Abram rightfully, as the older person in this relationship, as the uncle, had every right to say to Lot, well, Lot, you, you, get, you get going out of here. This is my area. You know, I'm, the, I'm the, the big cheese. I'm the boss. You're the nephew, okay? Um. But he doesn't. He, he, he's gracious and says, well, you decide what you want to do. Wherever you go, I'll do the other. If you want to go right, then I'll go left. If you go left, I'll go right. And very different to the response where God took, takes him to Canaan and he's there and he goes, well, I'm not content. I'm not comfortable here. I'm going to just keep going to Egypt. In fact, he's, he's humbled and he takes a step back. You know, has Abram in his character developed a sense of, hey, God's provision. Yeah. Yeah. Lot, you pick whatever the tr- you think is the choicest thing because whatever you pick, whatever you think it's the best, but I know God's got the best in mind for me. Okay. So what happens now? So verse 10, And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go towards Zoe, Zoar, Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. So Lot makes a decision based on what he sees. And um, if we look at the... Um, the meaning of the word Sodom it means to scorch. So it was in an area where there was, it was bituminous kind of pits. You know, we read about that later. Um, so the result of some sort of volcanic potentially activity. So wood had very rich, productive soil, very fertile, very green. So from from the, the eyes point of view, hey, that looks great. Great place to raise my my herds and for them to graze, grow some crops. Um, actually, Gomorrah on the other hand means to Submersion, um, a ruined heap. Um, it comes from an Arabic word to mean to press, to squeeze. Um, 
But just you know, interesting in those words, Sodom, Scorch, and Gomorrah, a ruined heap, that on the surface, a great place to raise cattle, but maybe not a great place to raise a family. Okay? And we see later that Lot um, becomes part of the, the, the kind of the city council in Sodom. He's sitting at the city gate. And you know, we can look at Lot and think, you're just a really unrighteous guy. Um, but, you know, he's probably no different from often, or I know how I often make decisions by sight, not by listening and waiting on, the, on what the Word of God's saying to me, or what His Spirit's putting in my heart. But he, ma- but he makes that decision. Um, but Lot, and if you, in your own time, you can look at Second Peter, because it refers to Lot as righteous Lot. It doesn't refer to his unrighteous Lot, it refers to Lot as righteous Lot, and it says that he was frustrated, I think the, um, I forget what the actual wording is, um, about the unrighteousness going on around him. And and we also know that God loved Lot because he sent some angels to take him out of Sodom before he destroyed it. So Lot himself is an interesting character study, if you get a chance to do it. Those on Tuesday night at the other home fellowship at Les and Lucy's, we're going to look at Lot um, soon. But Lot makes a decision based on what he sees. Um, But Abram waits on God, and God then says to him in verse 14, And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever. So he's going to take possession of something God gives to him. Not because he saw it and he took it, but, but God shows it and says this is what I want for you verse 16 and I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth so that if a man could number the dust of the earth then your descendants also could be numbered arise walk in the land through its length and its width for I give it to you not because he earned it not because he was more favorable than any other man that lived on planet earth at that time but God gave it to him but he said possess it okay so again we, we see Something more, you know, we, we study this to, to learn about Abram, but we see something about the character of God in the way that he brings blessing and salvation to us. It's not because we've earned any of it, because somehow we're better than, than the people around us. It's just that God says, I, I, I give it to you. Here's the opportunity. Go, go, go and take it. Um, so if anyone's feeling unworthy to receive the blessing of God, to receive his salvation today. That doesn't come into God's consideration how he how he views you. Okay. You know, we all need to be saved and we all need salvation. And regardless how we're feeling, we, we, we need to be saved. But salvation is there for you to take regardless of how you feel about yourself. And, and God will... Um, there's some verses that we'll read at the end which help us see how God ultimately does, does view us um, when, when, we get, when we get saved. Uh, all right. So Lot, let's just do a little quick comparison between Abram and Lot because I think it's, it's interesting. Um, so Abram makes, his, makes a better decision based on following God's leading. Lot makes a decision based on what he can see. Okay, and remember, both of them, are, both of them, from a biblical perspective, are 
God views them as righteous. So, okay, we're both like Christians. So for us, Lot is like the, that worldly Christian that loves the Lord, but hey, he gets distracted by the things of life. Um, Abram, the one where walking according to, 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 according to faith, according to not what he sees, but what he hears, the word of God. Okay? Um, so many things happen when we get guided by, by what we can see. Um, we also see that Abram, as much as, although Lot gets a house in Sodom, builds a house and he lives there, and, and, um, and there's issues that happen by living, dwelling in Sodom, Abraham never ever builds a house. He never builds anything. You know, the only thing he builds, he builds altars. He has a, He lives in tents. He, yeah. and we're going to look at Hebrews eleven in a second. But gives us an insight into what Ab- what's important to Abraham. That building an altar, an altar is a place where he can offer um, sacrifices. He can fellowship and he can commune with God, and that's what's important to, to Abram. So everywhere he stops, he goes and builds an altar. Okay? He wants communion. He wants fellowship with God. We never see that about Lot. We never see that there's a real strong fellowship with God. We just know that, he's, that God wants to, wants to, and does, does save him. So in our lives, are we, are we like Abram? And are we, as well as listening to God and where he wants us to go, are we building altars to God, not physical elders, but are we establishing things in our life where we can commune with God and have God talk to us and we can talk to Him? And that should be our primary, um, well, I don't want to say primary goal, but that should be a priority in our, in our life to say, God, how do I build a better understanding of who you are and, and have you come talk to me? me to talk talk to you um, it's easy to build other things isn't it in our lives and be doing and be, be being busy you know it's not to say ministry and things like that not important they, they are but those things should be an outflow of a, a relationship we have with Jesus Christ and our love for him not that ministry shouldn't precede the relationship you know my relationship with Alison the things I do for her as my wife come about because I love her, not because I go, oh man, I've got a, I've got a, a marriage certificate and says I'm the husband, therefore I've got these duties that I have to do. And sometimes it can feel like that. But, but I'd like to think, you know, most things are driven by a sense of um, my love and my relationship with her. Okay. So let's have a look at Hebrews chapter 11. Um, Hebrews chapter 11 is a is the roll call of of, of of the faithful, and a couple of key verses that we'll look at here. So we'll just we'll just jump around here. Um, so Hebrews chapter eleven verse one. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Okay, so we've seen that in Abram already. Um, Hebrews 11, uh, then verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who seeks, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, 
and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Verse 8, here we we talk about Abraham here. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of a place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Verse 9, by faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So Abraham had his eyes on what God had in the future for him. Now, whether that was, God, are you going to create a city for me here? But he just knew that there's a a place, God, that you're preparing for me, for me to have some, some perfect relationship with you. Therefore, I've got to be ready to move and go wherever you want me to do. So therefore, I'm just going to live in within tents. Okay. Um, now, this is not to say that all of us need to sell our places or move out where we're living living tents, but it's an attitude of our heart to say, "Look, I don't want to be so established in things in my life that as God leads me into something else, guides me that I can't I can't respond to that." You know, my my. And we studied this last time, I think when I, when I taught on Second Peter, that the things that we see ultimately are going to disappear. God will destroy them. And therefore, God wants us to have this heavenly, heavenly vision. Okay? And, and you know, investing in the things that contribute, that are, that are everlasting, not, not temporal. Let's, uh, Hebrews 11, verse 13. These all died in faith. So talking about the, the roll call of, of these faithful men and women. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Okay, So they're just passing through, strangers and pilgrims. Same with us. 11, 14. Uh, For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland, and truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So what that's saying is that once Abraham, Abraham had left Ur of the Chaldees and he left Haran, he never said, well, I wonder what, be like, what, I wonder what Ur would be like now if I went back there. I wonder if, you know, I wonder what life would be like if I went back to that place. He didn't, he didn't look back at that. He looked where he was going. And, you know, I ride a, a, a bike, a road bike. And, for the most, you know, you guys know, when you ride a bike, you, kind of, you, you want to look at where you want to go because that's where you tend to steer, okay? Now, you can kind of look at the side and... and you know, some of the guys I ride with ride track and, and you need the ability to be able to ride in a particular line and, and look out here to keep track of what, where the, what the other guy's doing. But generally, you know, if you're riding a bike, where you look is where you turn your handlebars. And so if you're riding along and something, some, you know, some bird in some tree grabs your attention and you, and you look, you've got to be careful because you'll steer off course. And same with our life, okay? With our walk as Christians, where our eyes are set is, is, where, we, is where we steer to, where we head towards. And these guys in, in chapter 11, they didn't know necessarily where God was leading them, but they just said, God, you've, 
at least from the moment I can see that you're heading me in this direction. And that's what they did. They were faithful to that. Um, we've just finished studying um, about Noah. And, you know, for, I can't remember, actually, I can't remember how many years he was building that ark. For 100, 100 years he, he built the ark. Never rained before. Probably seemed really silly. But he said, God told me to build an ark. I'm going to build this big boat. And, you know, God, God saved him. God blessed him. All right. Uh, let's go back to back to Genesis. Okay. So let's yeah, let's be people of walking by faith, not by, not by sight. So verse eighteen. Um, yeah. Then Abram moved his tent, went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. And Hebron. Well, let's start with Mamre. Mamre means strength. It comes from the meaning fatness. Okay, so um, something good. Okay, like not fatness is in, in terms of overweight, but fatness is in terms of prosperous and provision. Um, Hebron comes from a word which it means association, and so. I love it, you know. Abram, Abram had all of this in a, in a physical sense. He had all of this back at Earth. You know, there wasn't anything he didn't have. He goes to Canaan, goes off the side path to Egypt, comes back, and now he's in this place called Mamre, strength and fatness. He's in a place where there's God can provide for him in the way that God wants to provide for him. Okay, but even more importantly, he's in this place called Hebron, association. Um, so the words community and fellowship. So God brings him to a place where he can can remind him, hey, you're here to have community and fellowship. Now, it doesn't mean the people in Hebron were, were believers or anything like that. Um, but in a, a metaphorical sense, um, there are people that he will have a witness. Some of them will come to know the one true God through his witness and he will have community he will have fellowship with them and that's what God wants for us he wants us to be in places where there's community where we can we can be an example for him so people get to know him God wants us to be in a place where we can meet together and encourage each other and study the word together and, and grow together in our knowledge of God and, and not just growing our knowledge you know we need support because we, we have tough times and we have tough things and, and God wants us to uphold each other in, in prayer and, and and be looking out for each other and, and, and loving each other. Um, but God God's riches for us and we see what he's done for Abram. Yeah it's perfect for us. God's God's plan for us is perfect. Um, and yeah probably enough said about about that. So I spoke about Abraham Abram building alders. Um, okay, let's keep going. Okay. So just a few thoughts, I guess, to, to wrap things up about Abram's life and where God took him. And there's still a, a, lot, a lot of chapters that we could continue reading about Abram. Now, I mentioned before Abram's name um, meant, meant father. Uh, father father of fathers, exalted father, sorry. 
But we read later that, and again, you know, God, again, this is where God deals with our our humanness, our our yeah, our humanness, I guess, our weakness, because God continues to Abraham, well, to Abram, and then He does it to His son Isaac. He does it to Jacob as well. Reminds him of the covenant that God made with him to bless them with that land, and bless his descendants, and to 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 yeah, bless them to to provide. Um, all in with, with intention that for, for people would come to know God. But later on, we read that um, you know we we look at Abram now and we go, yeah, he's exactly like us, and had had weakness, times of weakness and trials, and fear of man. Um, but you know what, God God does this amazing thing later on. He changes his name from Abram to Abraham. And in the Hebrew, it's only one one letter. It's different between Abram and, and Abraham. But changes the name from exalted father to father of a multitude, chief of multitudes. Now, as a father, I, you know, I was hoping to have three kids. We've got one, one beautiful boy. Um, but I don't think I would ever have thought of myself as a father of multitudes, okay? Hundreds, thousands. But God says, I'm changing your name to Abraham. I'm going to make you father of multitude, chief of multitude, as a sign of his promise. And so that's how God views Abraham. Yeah, your name was a exalted father, but I'm viewing you as the father of a multitude. And the way God does that is, he, he, if you look at the word um, God's name in the Bible, um, or at least the consonants, they don't, they don't have the vowels, Yahweh or Jehovah, one character out of that gets taken out from Yahweh or Jehovah and gets added to Abram's name to become Abraham. And so as God, so as Abram's thinking about, well, now he now thinks of himself as Abraham because he, as you read through the rest of Genesis, he refers to himself as Abraham with this, so this new name, this new title. There's this reminder of, hey, God's got a promise for you and God's going to deliver that promise because he said he would. But um, God has a purpose for you because he's put, he's put his part of his name into into your name. Now, you know, Sarai, um, same thing again, okay? So her, her name gets changed from princess to, to noble woman. And again, it's, it's a one-letter change in, in her name to go from that to Sarah to noble woman, okay? We read about in chapter 11, she was barren. She was not noble, right? She would have been looked upon, despised, and particularly as she got on in life and, and you know, getting to the past childbearing years, 80s, 90s, um, that she would have felt like, you know what, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm worthless. I, I don't, but God says, you know what, I've got, I've got a promise for you and I'm going to keep that. And I'm, I'm going to remind you of that by changing your name from Sarah to Sarah. And I'm going to do that by taking... A letter out of my name, Yahweh, Jehovah, and I'm going to add that to your name, so you are a noble woman. So what a blessing that is! Now, what does that mean for us? Let's let's turn to Revelation, um, and we'll wrap up here, and then we'll get into to communion. Revelation chapter two, verse seventeen. So we see through um, we see through the Bible, particularly in in the New Testament, where God changes people's names to remind them of, of, of a higher calling that they have. 
And so we have Simon, um, who Jesus changes his name to Peter, because um, he becomes not just little pebble, little stone, not Petros, big become, well, sorry, Simon, but he becomes Petros, he becomes the rock, um, the, the, the solid one, okay? Now, at the time, you wouldn't have said Peter was the solid one out of the disciples. He's one of the, the flakiest. Um, and the, you know, the thing that makes it really clear about his flakiness is that he, just, he denies Jesus three times and even denies Jesus to a servant girl who was in that social hierarchy of the time, was the lowest of the low. And he denies Jesus to her. So he wouldn't have sort of said he was a rock. But you know what? God doesn't look on, on Peter as, he's the, as if he's the, pe- as the pebble. He looks on him and what he wants him to be and what he sees he will become. Um, same with Saul, who gets his name changed to Paul. And God did the same with Abram to make him Abraham, did the same with Sarah to make her name Sarah. But, but look at this, Revelation chapter 2, verse 17. And this is the letter of the Pergamos. Who were pre- the church of Pergamos were pretty faithful. They didn't allow some teachings to creep in that, that God addressed them on. But in verse 17 of chapter 2, he goes, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written on it, which no one knows except him who receives it. So you know what? We all have our names, you know, Phil, Phil I, Andrew, Tanya, Karen, Chris, Sandra. Um, but God, that's our name that we all kind of all know each other by here. But God's given us a new name, which we don't know. It's written on the white stone. But what is? But what would that name be? It's a name that I think, it's just my thoughts, other scholars probably think the same. Um, it's a name that how God looks at us, how he views us, what he thinks of us. Not what we see ourselves as now, feel the flaky, the oh, out of fellowship, doesn't read his Bible, doesn't pray enough, doesn't, you know, gets fearful of band, doesn't want to share and, and talk about what he did at the weekend, that sort of stuff. No, God has a name that says, hey, feel the, who knows, the loyal, the faithful, whatever, whatever it might be, okay? And it's the same with you guys. And so when we get, you know, when we look at our circumstances and how tough life can be, and particularly being a Christian, realize this promise in, in or this thing in Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, that you have a new name, okay? And God's wanting us to live to that new name, live up to that new name, not in our own strength, but in the strength that he provides for us. How do we do that? By dwelling in Hebron, by having fellowship, by dwelling in memory, by living in the fatness and the provision of what God wants to give to us, the strength of the Holy Spirit he wants to provide for us. Okay. So as we head into um, communion, I just want to leave you with one, th- one thought. You don't, have, you don't have to turn there. Um, so Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 to 25, and Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone des- desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And, you know, we see Abram, you know, Abraham ultimately, you know, that's what he effectively does. And he just lays it all aside, doesn't pursue anything worldly, just whatever God God opens up for him. And God blesses and, and uses him and, and sets a beautiful example for us as, as Christians today.
Um, where's Ian? If Ian, when you come up, just let us in a song. So we'll do. Uh, so just as Ian, Ian leads us in a, a worship song for communion, um, I encourage you to, to think about where you, you're at with the Lord, okay? Um, where, you're, where your heart is at this morning. Um, are you fully possessing the things that God wants for you? And that's to say, oh, yeah, we're going to these mighty, you know, these mighty people and all of that, you know, this real kind of rev, rev up sort of thing. No, there's just promises that God gives to us that because He's good and He wants us to take that, take hold of that. You know, He's given us the Holy Spirit to indwell in us, to guide us, to lead us to the things He wants us to. Uh, you know, if you feel you're in Haran this morning and you're feeling parched, feeling dry, get God say, "Hey, God, take me out of Haran, bring me into Canaan, bring me into that place of fullness in in my relationship with You." And you know, and and all of us, you know, let's think about. God, how do I build? How do you want me to build a better relationship with you and have those altars where I can meet with you and love you and learn to be more faithful to you? So, um, and as we do that, uh, yeah, prepare your hearts, come up, receive the cup and bread, and then I'll, I'll lead us in taking, taking the elements. Okay?